Hello, listener, and welcome to the Somewhere in the Middle podcast. I'm your host, Charlie Grimaches, and I am the head of middle school at Presbyterian School here in Houston, Texas. This week marks the first time that I get to bring a guest onto my podcast show. Super excited to welcome Miss Danielle Phyllis as our first, our inaugural guest on the Somewhere in the Middle podcast. Now, Danielle serves as a member of our eighth grade team. She is in the Humanities program, which is a tag team effort of our English and Histories program. The Humanities program at Presbyterian School focuses on the concept of identity. Sixth grade students begin this journey by focusing on how a novel creates the identity of a character and how a world culture serves as the building block or foundation to creating identity. In seventh grade, we turn our gaze toward the greater picture and compare identities as we look empathetically towards others. This takes shape under the blanket of conflict and resolution over something, whether it's land or goods of some sort, and how they resolve that problem. Also in novels, how characters or groups uh, identified conflict based on who they were, who they identified to be, and how they resolved or maybe didn't resolve that. And then applying those conflict and resolution-based tactics to our own lives. And in eighth grade, we go into what we're going to talk about today. The idea that students need to have a strong sense of identity in order to present their beliefs and their behavior in a positive way towards the world outside. This program serves as a large part of developing that confidence that we have in each child as they move on to high school and that confidence that they have in themselves as they move forward into a new beginning after they finish at Presbyterian School. So without further ado, let's get into the conversation. All right, so I am with Danielle Phyllis, eighth grade English teacher, humanities teacher at Presbyterian School, part of our humanities combination of history and English. Um, we'll talk a little bit about that if we can, and we'll also dive into some of her um, ins and outs so that we can learn more about who Danielle is and how she makes Presbyterian School so great. So without further ado, welcome Danielle Phyllis. Thank you, Charlie G. <laughs> <laughs> this is, it's... Awkward and funny to uh, try to create this contrived conversation sometimes, at least the intro, when you are um, working with somebody all the time. It's like, so how are you today? I'm well. How are you today? And it's just kind of... The nice thing is that I am always awkward and funny. So (laughs) this is really no different than usual. There's just mics involved. Perfect. Perfect. I think that's... Awkward uh, and funny could be yeah. the name of my maybe we should rena- or we'll rename this uh, this segment as the awkward and funny. Good. All right. So why don't we start with a quick background? So give me a five minute ish or less background of where you grew up, how you found Presbyterian School, and um, um, yeah, let's do that. So go for it. I was born. No. <laughs> um, so I grew up in. I didn't feel like I moved a lot to me, but whenever I describe it to people, they always say, well, are you military? But I was born in Illinois, lived there for a few years, moved to New Orleans, developed a taste for um, spicy food and parties, and then moved to Northern California, lived there through most of my high school career. 
Um, and then we bounced to Tulsa, Oklahoma for a little while. And then I went to college back in the same town where I was born huh. in Illinois. Was just, that by design or that just the way it worked out? It was. So my dad went to Knox College in Galesburg, Illinois, okay. the Harvard of the Midwest, mm. as they like to call it. Um, and I swore there was no way I would go there um, because it was right in the middle of the pigs and the corn. And dad already did that. I thought I was going to go to school in Northern California, but I had an epiphany while visiting UC Santa Cruz and standing in the library, which is a glass building overlooking the beach with surf and sun and surfer boys and beach volleyball. And I looked at my dad and said, I would do no work if I went here. We can't do this. And then I visited Knox and fell in love with it. So I lived in Illinois, went to, to grad school and got my master's at Northwestern University and then lived in Chicago for 15 years and by accident became a teacher. I was a theater artist and was directing a piece called Museum by Tina Howe at a little theater called the Boxer Rebellion. And... Um, this man came up to me, Matthew Kearns, and said, we would love for you to direct this show at our high school. And I said, no, thank you. I hated high school <laughs> high and I was school in kiddos. it. High school right. Gross. Right. And he said, we'll pay you. And I said, sure, uh, okay. I'll be there. Um, and then working with those students forced me to have to be able to articulate my own artistry in a way that was a challenge and exciting and the students were fearless and that, you know, I mean, the sure. energy and fearlessness sure. and joy that they had left me fulfilled in a way I really hadn't expected. So then I just made myself um, a, a fixture in the building and kept mentioning how I could also, I have an English degree as well. And wouldn't they love somebody who could teach both English and theater and um, they bought into it. They they invested in me uh, with no training as an educator, hmm. um, and and put me in. And I fell in love and lit and worked at the Chicago Academy for the Arts for eight years as a teacher. Only leaving when our family moved to Ohio because of my husband's job, which paid a lot more <laughs> than mine did. So that was the deciding factor. And we lived in Ohio, and I taught at Village Academy Schools, another small independent school, English and theater, 6th grade through 12th grade. And then another move, my husband got a job offer here in Houston, and my dad lives here. He just lost his house to Harvey. So it seemed like the right thing to do, but I didn't know where I would work. A student of mine at, at Village, uh -huh. her family had gone to this school. Right, right. And they connected me with Dr. Carlton, who connected me with you. And I was, I had reservations. I didn't know how it was going to sure. be just a middle school. And I'd have to give up my theater teaching. And I just wasn't sure how it was going to work out. Five minutes into being here. Really? <laughs> I thought... Who was the first person that you met? Was it was it me or was it... No, it couldn't have been me. It must have been, um, I mean, when probably you Michelle probably Moda Michelle. was the first person Michelle I met. Michelle Moda, who was a really our office manager. Yeah. Great person to meet first. Sure. 
but it was just a barrage of people and an impression of authentic warmth and authenticity and every teacher I met seemed like a rock star to me. Um, everybody here seemed so devoted to the same intention. Which is? To serve up a high-class education to hungry minds. Mm. And that's not just the students, but each other sure. and ourselves. And to really sit and think about how every aspect can aim toward that goal. Okay. I like it. No, I think that's that's the hope and dream is that that idea that the student is the focus and just maximizing whatever opportunities we can to you know, inspire, engage, and, and celebrate kids, both in their successes and in the times when they don't succeed is, is very important. And, and there, there's a recognition, too, that kids can't be served well if the faculty and staff and administrators aren't also served well, mm, right? There's right. been, sometimes I think it could be misunderstood when you say, got to do what's best for the kids. And then that means, yes, teachers, you have to sacrifice your life and right. your extra time. And there's not a sense of that here. Right. It's a sense that everybody needs to be healthy and happy in order to serve the students in the way right. we want to. Right. Yeah, You. I think the hope is that um, by doing that, giving the health and happiness of the teacher, then the extra time comes in as an opportunity to continue the, the, the contribution, right? It's not necessarily you have to do this because it's required by law or by contract. It's more of this is what happens. And then somebody might say, well, I'd like to try this too, or like to add this in there. Yes, please consider adding that in there because then it becomes more organically grown versus, um, um, dictated yes. to a, to a, an individual. So yeah. Yes. And that and, then translates to student. This is the first place where I've had my boss call me and say, you need to stop working and go have a weekend because you haven't stopped and you're going to burn yourself out. Well, right. So I think there needs to be more of that in the world and hmm. it's here. Yeah. It's a matter of us just knowing our people right? And then teachers knowing their team members or teammates in their grade level, let's say, or beyond that in, the, in their division, and leadership knowing their, um, the, those that, that they lead, that they are trying to encourage to do the best. When that encouragement is too much or, or pushing the envelope for too long, it needs to then, we need to pull off that, that accelerator a bit, little bit. So it's just balance for mm -hmm. sure. Well, good. So this is now the uh, fourth, third year, third year. This year feels like two years. Yes, this but. is kind of one of those things where I say, <laughs> this is my fifth year as middle school principal, but I don't know what happened to years two, three, and four, because now I feel like I'm in like, or what happened, what, um, it's my fifth year, but what happened to year seven, eight, and nine? Because they were just here, I promise. March was five yeah. decades long. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but talk about the students, you know, in this weird COVID kind of um, pandemic year, but also just in general. What um, brings you back to work every day about them that you enjoy? They're miraculous. Um, I walked into my advisory yesterday, and we had to do a follow-up on 
a presentation mm-hmm. that was kind of like when I was growing up, one of my colleagues said this too, kind of like the dare presentation right. of my era. She said, dating herself terribly, um, <laughs> about screen time. And you know, as a middle schooler in your handbook, it says you have to roll your eyes and <laughs> be sort of caustic and sarcastic about that sort of thing. And they definitely were, mm-hmm. which is good. They were aliens otherwise. But then <laughs> once we started talking, just talking, there are these honest, authentic, funny why not have fun when we're together group of joyous little souls and we'll tell you what they think and aren't afraid to have aha moments where they Mm -hmm. realize they didn't know. So that conversation yesterday had me howling. They wanted to make a handbook of how I can only give examples, I guess, to answer your question. (laughs) They wanted to make a handbook of how, you know, when you've had too much screen time, Huh. And so they came up with things like, you find that you've been watching Veggie Tales. <laughs> oh, when your binge watching <laughs> moves into the Veggie Tale category, you maybe may that's too much. You may have too much screen time, or you see your reflection in the black screen of the Netflix "Are you still there?" <laughs> message, and your hair is messed up and you look sad. Uh-huh. It's time to quit. Mm. So, just that joyousness. I mean, it's a reflection right. of the authenticity and warmth right. that I felt when I was here. Right. Um, they're not perfect, which would be really unsettling if they were. They're definitely middle schoolers. But, man, this is the crew that we're going to send out into the world, this mm-hmm. generation, to fix the numerous mm-hmm. wrongs that my generation has certainly inflicted on the world. Right. And there is no better group of people I can imagine than this group <laughs> of young folks. Well, and I remember on that, in terms of stories, I still remember a young man, actually it was last year, before we all were dismissed for um, pandemic reasons, um, there was there's a humanities project where students have a book study where they're learning about different, or they're getting a choice to read different um, works regarding the Holocaust, regarding World War II, but really the Holocaust itself, and um, then sharing the different perspectives that they learn through a project. And that project could be um, something that they are doing in terms of a production of some sort, like a, a newscast, or it could have been a diorama of some sort or some sort of construction that they that they um, physically built and then described in terms of presentation. So there was always a presentation um, involved in it, and among other things. And there was one student who I remember, and this is, you know, me um, geeking out over the, the uh, um, um, collaboration of all these different content areas, where he made a, um, a, uh, um, a car, a train car, that he was trying to demonstrate um, as the way that um, Jews or anyone who was persecuted was transported to concentration camps. And he was trying to do it to scale where he had the train car that he had built and then he mapped out the train car. And it's a horribly sad story, but just incredible that he got to this point. And I said um, to this young man, I said, so what did you learn from this process? And he said, well, I'm trying to think about it from the mathematical perspective a little bit and I'm trying to make it to scale. And that was really hard because I couldn't find the people, size of people that would fit in the train car. And I said, well, what do you mean? They were too tall? And he says, no, no, their footprint was too big to fit. 
And he and so I said, so what does that tell you? And he said, well, could you imagine being in this train car where there wasn't enough place for your feet to be because there were so many people in it? That was by the hundreds or thousands. That's what the Holocaust has left me, this, this conversation has left me with. And I said, if that's the one thing he remembers from this kind of atrocity, um, the, the incredible um, uh, scale madness that this was, because then you could talk about how that scale then goes to the war itself and then to the people that were persecuted as a whole and such. I mean, he left with a whole different perspective, even to that um, finite detail of the Holocaust because of the program. So I say all this only because we, in this case, Danielle and her teammate creates a um, placemat for these kids to um, write what they want to write and draw what they want to draw and build what they want to build within the context of the placemat, right? And it ends up becoming this beautiful recognition of what they're capable of doing. So the skill set that's built is here's what I can do. And the skill set that is then distributed is here's what I can show you. So I can teach you as much as I've learned in this process. I mean, can't ask for more when you're talking about sending kids off into the world to represent us. They need to be able to know themselves and then be able to present their ideas or themselves to those people that they come in contact with. Just a fantastic, um, I guess, uh, um, tribute to what it is that you've said and then what it is that you get to do on a daily basis. And what I love about that story is when you started talking, I knew right away the project you were talking about, the Humanities Project, and I didn't know which of the many students you might highlight because each not every student sure. had a profound moment like that, but there were many profound moments like that. And I think you master what you practice and what we're allowed to have students practice here is voice choice and agency. And when we allow them the space and we give them the support to express that voice choice and agency and the structure, the placemat, mm -hmm. if you, if you want to use your, your metaphor there, then that's what they become masters at, is developing their voice, making good choices, and being able to be agents of their own change. Right, right. It's not about the train car. It's about the skill sets that's built. Yes, it's very important that we identify and, and, and make serious the story of the train car, right, behind the train car, the context. But that's not what, the, what makes the child. What makes a, a child is the recognition of the process of becoming um, present in that scenario and then transferring that process of presence and then, um, I guess, um, sharing and teaching and learning agency and such um, to the next person that they run into, no matter what the scene is, right? What things that changed for you in this year, particularly things that you have had to either force yourself to change or maybe refuse to change? What things have you refused to, to break? Um, the, the question is, what of your personal rules do you have that you refuse to break? It kind of goes in context with my, my previous podcast about morals and values in a little bit as well. And what things need to sustain, uh, even in light of all of this heaviness that's going around? Uh, that no rule should ever be remain unchanged <laughs> honestly that yeah. that you got to be less precious with your and sacred about your rules and 
always be able to flex. I'm, I'm before I got pulled out of the boxer rebellion. <laughs> I also, as an improv artist, did a lot of improv work with Second City for a while, and so have an improv background. And one of the tenets of improv is a yes and mindset, mm-hmm. and that means you and I are doing a scene together and I have in my mind because of how the lights come up and you look that we're going to be lions in a cage together and I've got a great idea in my head but before I can open my mouth you say I hate being stuck in the dryer like this Um, (laughs) I lost my mate have you seen him he looks just like me only totally opposite and uh, he has a hole in the toe area and I have to realize you mean we're socks in a dryer Mm. And yes and means I go with what you said. Right. Um, If I don't, I ruin the scene. So I say yes to what you're saying. And the and means I add on to it. So I might say, oh, I do see him. Uh, Do see your mate. She's over there with that um, fishnet stocking and things look kind of naughty, you know, or whatever (laughs) I might say. Um, We're hilarious, by the way. The crowd goes wild. Um, But... That's sort of what coronavirus has reminded me the importance of and solidified the importance of that mindset, that I can't fight against the mask I'm wearing right now. I can't fight against the fact that I'm the one moving and the kids are staying in the room. I can't fight against the fact that at any minute it may necessitate for the health of everyone that we're going to go back to virtual or we're in virtual and we're going to come back. Mm-hmm. Or we're going to come back and who knows what it's going to look like. We have concurrent teaching going on. So we have a finite amount of energy. And to spend any of it railing against that is inefficient and exhausting and negative. Right. And I hate toxic positivity. That's a whole <laughs> other subject. So I'm not pretend saying pretend like it's all awesome. Right. Because you can snuggle up and say this mask sucks and right, I'll right, say yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But you also have to say yes and to it. And that can mean release yourself from the thought that you have to cover all the things you thought you had to cover. Right. That can mean release yourself from the thought that when you're together, kids need to hear you talk. Um, release yourself from the Mm -hmm. idea that you have to hover around them in groups because you may be putting them in digital breakout rooms where you aren't there right so i guess that's my thing i won't let go of is that you have to be willing to let go of things right interesting no it's it's very uh, um um I guess ironic, but maybe a paradoxical Mm -hmm. if that's the word poetic yes poetic (laughs) is probably is probably good you know one of the things that that I've always preached about for middle school is this, the um, skill set of stepping into someone else's shoes, right? So in order to be a successful human, you have to know where the other person is coming from. Because at times, I don't know what another person is feeling, especially in a pandemic environment where new feelings and new anxieties are here that maybe somebody never knew they had, or that somebody that had them, they're now hitting super high levels, or maybe they're able to mask them better because of the environment they're in. Because we've we found that some online kids are superior online learners, yeah. while other kids are horrible online learners, and they need their their people face to face. So yes, it's a matter of just expecting the unexpected and then pivoting and adjusting for that. I, I appreciate that. All right, you ready to play a game? 
Um, definitely. Okay, Always. so we're gonna play. Um, it's a it's a icebreaker ish game, but I don't like the term icebreaker because I feel like that that's something that's you have to do. And we're it's, in Houston. So since it's penguins, ice, ice penguins, I'm calling it punchy penguins because it's alliterative and that's okay. Fun. So in front of Danielle are four cards. Yes. She's going to pick three of them. Okay. But she's only going to pick one at a time. Okay. And she has to read the card and answer the card. It's a 10-second um, response. He says to someone who likes to talk about. Yeah, but say, well, it's okay. improv. I'm, so I'm do I do this now? For it. So, yes, you can pick one. I am picking. I have, there's a blue, a, sort of a dark blue or, or maybe charcoal, a green, and a yellow. I am picking the green one. Oh, if you could go back in time, what one thing would you tell your teenage self? You are not fat. <laughs> you okay. think you're fat, but you are not fat. Just wait, girl. Just wait. <laughs> All right. And it doesn't matter if you were. Right. And it doesn't matter. That's good. I like it. All right. That's good. Ten okay. seconds. Okay. Number two. Okay, yellow. We're going to go with yellow. Which season fits your personality? Oh, spring. It's full of color, it's muddy, it's <laughs> life and joy, spring. I know it's cool to say fall, but spring. I like spring too, that's good. All right, one more. What's the first concert you ever went to? I'm so embarrassed and overjoyed to share this. <laughs> Helen Reddy. I don't know who I am is. woman, hear me roar. Oh, wow. <laughs> At uh, the Illinois State Fair with my grandma. Oh my goodness, with grandma. <laughs> Did grandma know all the songs too? Oh, yeah. That's yeah, fantastic. Yeah, was hip, man. Oh, man. Yeah. That's pretty fun. <laughs> All right. Well, that's Punchy Penguins. I Little... feel like you need to answer okay. this one. Okay, what's the last one? I'll answer it. Would you rather explore space or the ocean? Would I rather explore space or the ocean? Mm. I would rather explore the ocean. Space honestly kind of scares me a little bit because of how expansive it is. Well, as expansive as the ocean is, space is kind of terrifying. So many cool things about life that's in the ocean that we haven't found. I think cures for all kinds of diseases are in the ocean and all these things that we just haven't found. So that's why the ocean would be very interesting to me. Boom. There you go. All right. Last thing as we walk out the door a little bit, well, we're, we're kind of easing ourselves to get up out of the door, is the uh, little talk about what Danielle has in the cooker on her own. So she has some things that she's been working on, as, you know, as, as in terms of her professional development, but also in terms of pursuing her own passions, as we talked about with kids, the um, voice choice and agency, Danielle models this as well. And so there are two places that w we've seen even this semester um, that have come up, um, probably more, but in these two are more, the most recent. And the first one is... Um, an article that you were able to write. Actually, there's three because there's two articles. An article for Schoology that you wrote, which is our learning management system, and an article for White Book. And they're both related to teaching pedagogies and practices, but in regards to these, uh, the context of these uh, tools. So White Book is kind of like a reusable whiteboard um, um, palette. So you can tear it off and stick it on the wall, the piece of paper or the poster-sized paper, and it may have um, um, graphing um, um, on it or may have just a blank paper, but you can write all over it and then wipe it off like a dry erase board and then just reuse and reuse and reuse. But it's a mobile whiteboard stuff. Um, Schoology, I said, it was our learning management system. I guess the question that I have in this is um, what excites you about these kinds of conversations and um, how did they get involved with you? And if other teachers are out there that want to do this kind of stuff, how do we enable them to do that? Um, quite by accident. 
uh, just keep pushing things and poking things with a stick. And How many times have you written happens. something and it didn't go anywhere? Oh, you know, it's worse than that. I've, I've ached and wanted to write and um, it just didn't. And then I accidentally said out loud, you know, I'd like to start getting published and doing more writing on my own. And then it, the, speak the intention and it starts to happen. But with the whiteboard, I always want to say it so they know it's not white. Oh, yeah. It's not white with a T. Board. It's white with a P. Whiteboard. Right. <laughs> They posted something on Twitter, and I use Twitter as a sort of uh, personal learning network or professional learning mm-hmm. network. That's really what I use it for. Kids always try to follow me, and then they get bored um, because it's all nerdy education stuff. But Whiteboard had a contest to try to win some of these. I thought, those look really neat. I bet I could use those in my classroom in a bunch of different ways. I didn't win the contest, but they wrote to me and saw I have a little lost blog in some corner of the universe and <laughs> they said if you if we send you some free ones would you be willing to write a blog post and i said well yes i would mm-hmm. and so they did and it they're really cool um it's a really neat tool especially now during covid times when i'm the traveling classroom right to be able to take those with me and allow students to collaborate from one classroom to another we were doing um, drafting of the thesis statement, which is really important in writing to get that right, then the rest of your paper is easy to to manage. And um, that idea of not being precious about your first draft is one right. that's hard for middle schoolers. Sure. They, they tend to think, I've really got to work very hard to make it perfect and then get peer feedback. And I'm more of the throw a terrible prototype on the page and then mess with it from there kind of gal. So um a uh, whiteboard sent me their stuff. I came up with that idea as a way to do it, ran it by them. They said, yeah, do that. We haven't had that yet. And it worked out great. The lesson was a lot of fun. And our wonderful um, communications expert and photographer, Jessica, mm-hmm. um, took wonderful pictures of the kids and they ended up posting it on their site. Yeah. Very neat. And yeah. it's not that it was a one-off program. It's just we got to use the tool for a, um, a process or a construct that you have been using for, forever. Right, where writing. I wouldn't right. have been able to without this tool right. because of the health and safety regulations that we're adhering mm-hmm. to here and seeking to protect everyone. Right, and then for Schoology, you wrote about, remind me what, what the, I don't the, <laughs> the topic. The improv mindset. Yeah, yes, kind of the what improv we talked mindset, about. so it goes back, yeah. right. And that's kind of... What we've been talking about this whole time. Yeah, right? yeah. It all. It's. I mean, I'm a. I'm a one trick pony. I guess. <laughs> I don't think that's the truth. I will say that what Danielle has never met a challenge that she didn't like to ask questions about, and you know maybe not that she didn't necessarily um, achieve or accomplish, but that's all of us. But Danielle's w- willing to dive into anything when it comes to um, um, understanding what's going on and how it can be fixed or improved. It whatever it is. Um, sometimes it's to the point of saying, yeah, that's somebody else that needs to do that. Yeah. Or it could be that, no, you can't. And, and Schoology has been one of those places where you like to dive in and ask questions and see ways we can fix it. Because it with a stick. there's a little bit of a square peg and round hole conversation with any LMS yeah. program. And so Schoology is one of those that we're figuring out what corners do we need to shave off so it fits a little bit better for us. And Danielle's been um, a major fixture in that. Um, and then the last piece is the spring queue, um, um, which would be a workshop in person, I'm guessing, in typical years. Yes. Tell me about queue and then tell me about what you're going to get to um, 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 present 
because Danielle's going to be has been accepted as a presenter, I I'm guess, so in that excited. way is the, yes. is the technical term since it's <laughs> I think it start, digital I presenter. I never guess, hear now. anybody unpack the acronym what it means. I think it's computer using educators. Okay. That's what it's C-U-E. Sounds like it to me. Yeah, yeah. it's not the letter Q. Not the letter nope. Q. Nope. <laughs> it just become fraud That's lately. something different, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's a really huge symposium conference of educators from all over the place focused on, te- it used to be focused on technology, but now I feel like technology is just omnipresent. Right. right. And so, um, uh, again, I always felt like, I'm too small. I'm just a teacher. I can't get a presentation there. So I hadn't really tried. But Schoology, uh, the folks at Schoology actually challenged me to do it. And oh, so interesting. You do this. So shout out to Schoology yeah. and that network. Um, and it's hard for me to say no. I'm a yes and girl. So mm-hmm. I I proposed something. I kind of forgot about it. I was like, I won't get right, it. But right. um, the workshop is, um, I call it Caveman Brains in a Digital World. Right. And it's about understanding, recognizing, and disrupting implicit biases in the classroom. Now, I've been presenting this in different forums, I think in three or four different states for years but nobody ever wanted it. Or if they did grudgingly say, yes, we'll, we'll have you come present that, maybe five people would show up. And they'd all walk out going, that was intense and incredible and everybody needs to hear it. And a couple of them would have me come back to their school then okay. and do it. But mostly it was a pretty hard sell. Now all of a sudden everybody really wants it with yeah. the recent events. So um, the world is is more open to understanding implicit associations in a way they weren't before. Mm-hmm. And so it's exciting to be able yeah. to be there and to to host people exploring that together. Well, I'm sure you'll have a big um, following in that now. As you said, it's just such a present um, concern to to have conversations the right way is really what it comes down to and learn the right way without some sort of preconceived notion as you walk in the door about what you're going to get, which is maybe in a way in the, um, in the conference, in this presentation of itself, people are probably walking in the door thinking they know what's going to, what it's going to be about. And so they're bracing for impact. I'm sure there's some surprises along the way when it comes to learning about what you want to share. And what we, there is a difference between active prejudice and implicit association. And I think, think that's important to recognize. Um, I've done this with our students here. We've mm-hmm. done it. The, the students have done it. And they have talked about how nobody here has active prejudice. Zero people mm. have it. And um, absolutely true. Just totally, nobody here totally would. dismissed it. Right. But, but all of us have implicit associations that have pr- been programmed into us culturally. And a quick experiment you can do is a Google search of just about any identity. So we did like CEO. And if you do a Google image search of CEO and you were an alien and this image search return was all you had to judge what a CEO was, you would probably see it and you can do it now. Mm-hmm. It's that, that it's male, older, probably gray hair, probably in a suit, 
weirdly often with alcohol in their hands or money. <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, they just carry around money. Mm -hmm. Teachers almost always have chalkboards behind them, mm. <laughs> which doesn't even I don't exist even know in our school. If you could get yeah. one anywhere right now, but um, but then the students recognize, well, that is an associate. It doesn't surprise anyone to see those things, right? Um, and that's a cultural diet we've been fed, probably not with any oh wicked sense of malicious intent, right? But it's there, and it's an invisible rule we're accustomed to. And so that's more what it's about, is recognizing spaces, places, times when we might be more or, or less able to defend against that cultural diet right. or recognize it right. and what the harm can come from that. Yeah, and then good. how to start to... How to counter counter right. that and recognize mm. it exactly. I remember um, your coworker, um, Dr. Patty Coleman, who works in our on the other side of the humanities program for eighth grade on the history side, um, when the kids were watching um, some feedback for what happened on the 6th of January in the Capitol, we went to five different um, um, newscasts to look at the, new, the different perspectives from the different newscasts. And it's because there's probably an implicit bias. If you go to one, most likely not probably there is an implicit bias if you go to one. All so of them. go to, yeah. So go to five and see the different perspectives <laughs> yeah. um, um, so that you can kind of start to formulate your own understanding, paint a, a deeper picture of it. And it's just a, um, an interesting um, way to counter the implicit bias that exists for those that just listen to NPR or just listen to CNN or just listen to Fox or just listen to whatever you name it. Um, because everybody has a little different spin, and that's um, valuable for our kids to to know not only in in a you know politically um, uh, diametric situation, but maybe in any situation when they walk in the door and they have, have an assumption about what they're going to hear, or assumption about, or maybe not even known if a an unknown assumption about something in their conversation, or just knowing I'm tired and hungry, so I'm more likely to just have automatic associations Good. take over. Yeah. So, um, naming it, right. I'm nervous. So right. this is a time when I'm probably more likely to not think critically about something. Right. And so I better be on my guard that my own cultural programming may guide me away from the actual right. reality in the room. Very good. Well, Danielle, the depth of, of your thinking in terms of working with kids, the excitement that you have for your trade and for your colleagues and for sharing is just welcomed and exciting for me to hear. So thank you for spending some time during the middle of the day where you could uh, not grade some papers and maybe do a little bit of work with me. Just uh, give them all seeds. Just talking, yeah. You know, so, just, you know, some are happy, some are sad. I'd yeah, say, if you turn it sideways, it's always a smiley face. <laughs> there you go. Um, um, appreciate you. Um, thanks very much. I'm here with Danielle Phyllis, our um, eighth grade humanities teacher at Presbyterian School. Thanks Thank for you. being here, Danielle. Thank you for supporting me and entrusting me with these little souls. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm.